What a joy. What a joy it is to stand before you and to consider what God is doing in all, all of your lives. And I have a confession to make. When I was with you for the first time back in the fall, I told you that I wanted to get to know every one of you and I was going to block a certain amount of time each week and I was going to make appointments for students. And in the press of things, in this transitional year, I haven't been able to do that. And so I want to ask you to forgive me for that. I'm praying that in the coming years that I'll be able to be a little more settled down and be more on top of things as many more things come into place here at the college. So my heart is where you are. My desire in being here is to be an encouragement to each one of you and to get to know you and to be an encouragement to the faculty and the staff and also to you, I apologize, uh, faculty and staff who are doing a wonderful job and I haven't had that time to be with them as I would wanted to have. And so be praying that I would be a better manager of my time, I guess, as well. My overriding desire this morning is to help you in not forgetting what has happened in your lives in the past three weeks. I mean in never forgetting what has happened in your lives in the last three weeks. I mean think about the speakers. Think about Dr. Billy Kim and what he had to say. God brought those men here for you to do a work in your hearts and minds, to be a strategic part of his planning, his working in your lives as you prepare to serve him with your lives. Think of Dr. E.V. Hill and what he had to say. Remember what he said? You is what? You is it. You is it. And then Reverend Alex Montoya. And then the day of prayer, when faculty and staff and students together committed that week of outreach to prayer and cried out to God and said, God, we can't do it. We're inadequate. We're totally dependent upon you, and yet we think you want us to do a work for you. And what a mighty work God did in nearly all of your lives. Even those of you who weren't able to go, many had to work and weren't able to go. Many had other commitments. Others perhaps just weren't quite ready for that. And and there'll be another time in God's plan and his program for your life. And so through that and seeing so many people come to Christ, what a joy it was yesterday to be in a church in Sunnyvale, California, and to be able to, to tell a supporting church, a church that's been partners with us for years, what God is doing in your lives. What an encouragement it is to a church to hear that, that their prayers are being answered, that the money that they have contributed here is being honored in a tremendous way. And yet through that, some of you learned some really hard lessons, didn't you? Some of you didn't want to do things that, that you did. And you found that out of sheer obedience, when you took a step that you didn't want to do, that God would honor that. Have you found that God has a sense of humor sometimes? Have you found that? Yesterday morning, my daughter and I got on an airplane at LAX. And um, if you understand anything about the sovereignty of God, you know that that he is the one who decides who sits next to you. Have you ever thought about that? I want to tell you, when you go on your spring breaks here, when you get on an airplane or in a bus, those of you who won't be driving, you can already start praying about the person or persons that he's going to put next to you. No accident. A divine strategy. So my daughter, it was a joy to take Mary Beth. Many of you know her. She's uh, 15 years old, and her only problem in life is that she has to wait two more years to be here. That's really true. She just loves it here. And so we get on that plane, we sit there, and, um, and they're waiting for other people to get on. And finally, one of the most unlovely people I've ever seen in my life started down the aisle, and there was a seat still empty next to me. And I said to myself, 
Oh, no. <laughs> now, the reason I knew this person was reserved for me was because I was going to Trinity Baptist in Sunnyvale, California with the challenge. I'd been asked to come and be a, a missions emphasis speaker. So I was going there, and in an, in an hour and a half from that time, I was going to be telling people how they needed to be faithful in sharing their faith, how they needed to be ready to accept the people and the circumstances that God would bring into their lives each day. And so along came this very overweight, very dirtily dressed, unkempt, odorific, I think is a word they use, <laughs> sat next to me. And I was trying to just have a pleasant flight with my daughter, you know, and we're going to have a nice day together and go up there and minister in that church. And this person sat there. Boy, you know, I just thought, wow, I have to talk to them. I got to tell them about Jesus. And uh, I wasn't in a hurry. I mean, it was, you know, we were waiting for the thunderstorm to pass for about an hour and 15 minutes on, on a runway. And so I was reading and talking to my daughter. And I still had an hour once we got in the air, you know, I didn't. So finally we got in the air and I had to start talking. And so I tried to introduce myself and they didn't want to talk. They didn't want to talk. And, and when they did talk, I found myself reaching for my certs. And um, it's one thing to give certs to people who don't need them. It's another thing to give certs to people who must know they need them, you know. And uh, they didn't want the certs either. <laughs> but a lawyer, God really has a sense of humor, doesn't he? Yeah, and I'm sitting there saying, yeah, and Jesus died for this person, same as me. Same as me. He loves woman, was a woman, her, as much as me. And so finally, I, I keep trying to get this discussion going, and I finally found out they had been on vacation. She had been on vacation. She was going back to work in Berkeley and worked there a certain job and so on. Finally, I said, what do you think about spiritual things? She said, never discuss spiritual things. <laughs> spiritual things are personal. That's it. Don't believe in organized religion. I mean, what am I going to do, right? And so I always try to be equipped with tracks. And I had, by this time, I had sort of discreetly pulled a proper, what I thought was a proper track, out of my briefcase and had it sort of in my vest pocket, you know. And it was one of Johnny Erickson taught us tracks. You may find that's a very useful one to use because most everybody has heard of her and her pictures on there. And so I, I pulled the track out and I said, did you ever hear this gal? She said, I think I have, yeah. I said, you know, she's a friend of mine, and she's written this, and it's been really helpful to a lot of people. I wonder if you'd want to read what she has to say about spiritual things. She said, yeah, I would. Well, she took that track, and she sat there, and she read it cover to cover, and then went back and reread it. But she didn't want to talk about it. <laughs> didn't want to talk about it, okay? But in God's plan, that person today has a seed planted in her heart. One day we plant, somebody else waters, God gives the increase, and then some days you get to come across, come along and pick the fruit. Some of you did that two weeks ago, right? It had been planted and somebody had given the water and God had given the increase and you came alongside and just picked that ripe fruit. And God blessed you. What a wonderful adventure he has for our lives. Turn with me, please, to the book of Hebrews for a moment. 
the book of Hebrews and chapter 12. Hebrews and chapter 12, you're familiar with that. It follows that wonderful chapter that we refer to as the heroes of the faith. Well, do you know why God puts that narrative in there talking about those great heroes of the faith? He puts, he puts those words in there about Abraham and about Noah and about Moses and even about Rahab the harlot and the others. He puts those words there to be an encouragement. They're just people like you and me. And they were people who put their trust fully in God and walked in obedience. And God used them in a mighty way. And that's how he wants to use you, just in the same way. That's the whole reason that chapter's there. So they can be an encouragement to you and to me. And you know what didn't stop there? Think about the New Testament. Think about the apostles. Think about the trust they had in God and walking in obedience and how God used them in a great way. And it doesn't stop there. It's 2,000 years later. How do you think that this morning you can sit here with Christ in your heart? How did that happen? How did you hear? Faithful men and women of God, down through the 2,000 years since the day that Jesus went back and ascended to heaven to be at the right hand of the Father. 65 generations of faithful men and women have run a great relay race down through the centuries, passing the baton of the gospel one to another. And they've been faithful, and they've run that race, just like these great heroes of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And that's why you're a Christian today. If there had been a break in, the, in the, any link of that chain down over those 65 centuries, we couldn't be believers today, could we? Think about it. That's the great adventure, the great race through time and into eternity that, that when you receive Christ as Savior, you stepped into that race. And that's what he's talking about here in chapter 12 in the first couple of verses. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, the writer's referring back to that chapter 11 with all those heroes of the faith, and he's saying to us today, look at their example. They had faith and they walked in obedience and God used them in a great way. Look at the word also or to, whichever version of the Bible you have. He's referring to, to your potential and mine as well. Wherefore, we also have that same potential. When he talks about being compassed by, by a great cloud of witnesses, this is a very misunderstood verse. A lot of people think that means all the people who are in heaven standing around looking down and clapping, yay, go for it. There's no evidence that that's true whatsoever. What it means is that it, the testimony, the witness of their life is there for us to observe and, and see through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, through the written word of God. That's what he's talking about. And the same thing holds true for all the people that have been in your life, a godly mother and father in many cases, a godly teacher, a, a godly pastor. Who did God use in your life? Who did you see walk in obedience? Who led you to Christ? Who have been those faithful men and women? He's saying, consider them. You too have that same potential. And then he gives four admonitions. Let us lay aside every weight. What is a weight? And he's talking, heading here, talking about a race. What is a weight? A weight. A weight can just be those things we do which are good, but not God's best. A weight many times is born out of a problem in a relationship. Do you have a problem in a relationship with somebody right now? Somebody has offended you, a family member, a friend, somebody where it just isn't quite right in that relationship and there's a little bit of you missing? Until that gets settled, you can't run fast, can you? That's a typical weight. 
Are there sometimes when you feel reluctant to share your faith in Christ because you're a little shy and sometimes even cop out and say, I can't help it, that's my temperament. God really made me kind of a bashful person, therefore, what can I do? That's a weight. That's a weight. Sometimes it, it can be just uh, the way that we use our time inappropriately when we can be using it in a, in a much better way, having to do with priorities. So it says, lay aside those weights. Lay aside anything that's keeping you from running as fast as you can. And in the context of a runner, many times in those days, one running in a race, an Olympic kind of race at that time, they would run naked. So there would be no weight. So they could run as fast as they could run. And that's how we're to run for the Lord Jesus. No encumbrances, nothing hanging over our shoulder. No guilt. All sins confessed, forgiven, and forgotten. And then he says, let us lay aside the sin which does so easily beset it. Beset us. Lay aside the sin. The article was there in front of the word, the sin. I think it relates to, to faith because all the foregoing relates to the faith of the heroes of the faith. They believed God and therefore were able to be obedient. It's on those days when we're dotting our faith that, faith that we can't run hard for the Lord, isn't it? When we allow Satan to take away. And we have doubts, and we allow the doubts to enter in. Set aside that sin. But it could mean any other sin. Each one of us has have certain areas of weakness in our lives, don't we? Areas that, for one, it may be gossip. For another, it may be overeating. For another, it may be procrastination. There are areas of sin that we all are especially prone to. Set aside that sin that so easily besets you. And then he says, and let us run. And notice, the writer is in here. He isn't saying you guys. He's saying us. He's a part of this race. He's a part of the challenge. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. A word patience is better translated either endurance or perhaps perseverance. And we're already in the race. Let us run. Let us keep running. Let us run with the power of God within our lives. We have the potential of finishing the race stronger than we started. And that's God's plan for our life. Not to grow weary in well-doing, but to go harder and harder as we allow God to be in more and more in control of our lives. As we allow the Holy Spirit truly to be the driving force and the power of our lives. And it's the race that is set before us. Each one of us. God has a plan. Circumstances, people, events, places, gifts, abilities, talents, unique to you and to me. The race that is set before you and before me. And the most important part of the admonition is the next one, the first part of verse 2. And as we want run, we must run looking unto Jesus, our eyes fixed upon Him as Savior, as Lord, as example, as our model. First, let's look at Him as our example. First, I want to look at Him as our example, as a motivated servant a highly motivated servant. Turn to Mark 10 and 45. Mark 10 and verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. This verse has helped me, I think, over the years as much as any verse in all the New Testament. For to try to model ourselves after the Lord Jesus... Notice the verb here. That's where the motivation is. He came. He came. Highly motivated what? To be ministered unto or to minister? I mean, it's a very easy verse to remember because it's unusual, because it's negative. Okay? 
Even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto. He didn't come to be ministered unto. He didn't come to be the, the best speaker of his time. He didn't come to build the largest church of his time. He didn't come to be president of the country. He didn't come to, to be esteemed. He came to be a servant. A highly motivated servant. That's the example of the Lord Jesus. And whenever you're questioning your own your own motivation, which we have to do each day. It's a good verse to have in your mind. Why am I doing this? For others or for myself? Keep asking yourself that. You'll be surprised how many times your motive isn't pure when you thought it was. Secondly, let's look at his example as a compassionate servant. Matthew chapter 9. Matthew in chapter 9. And this is a part of Christ's example that I didn't have yesterday morning on that airplane the way I wanted to have it. I was trying to witness to that person out of sheer obedience. I admit that to you. I'm ashamed of that. That's where my heart was yesterday. Verse 36, referring to the Lord Jesus, Matthew 9. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. That means when he looked at the unlovely people... When he looked at the people that filled the bus station, if there had been one of his time, when he looked the people, at the people who were living in the street, when he looked at the people that we build walls around our homes to keep out, he was emotionally moved. He had great emotion great love because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd it's that love for the unlovely people that the Lord Jesus wants us to have to be a compassionate servant fourth third rather let's look at his example briefly as the obedient servant Matthew 26 Garden of Gethsemane account Verses 36 to 46. Try to remember the night before his crucifixion. A good verse to look at here two weeks before Easter. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. The great burden was upon him. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very happy, very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, What could ye not watch with me one hour? seem to be saying, don't you understand what kind of a struggle I'm going through and you fall asleep? Can't you be with me? Can't I sense your presence as I go through this most awful time? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O oh my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. 
Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed unto the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. The Lord Jesus, in the most critical time that a man has ever had walking this earth in, in point of decision, the hardest decision in terms of submitting himself fully, and he knew that he would be separated from God the Father for a season and dying that terrible death and to have that spiritual separation. And three times he fell on his face and he cried out, God, let it pass, but if you want me to do it, I'll do it. Thy will be done. And then after the third time, he seemed to get up and say, when he said to them, verse 46, Rise, let us be going. So be it. Let's go. So be it. Let's go. And into your life and mine, when there are decisions each day that relate to following the will of God or following our own will. Oh, that we would follow this example of prayer of the Lord Jesus and submission and then say, so be it, I'll do it as unto you. That's the kind of example as we look unto Jesus for running the race of life. Next, I want to look at his orders with you, Matthew 28, a very familiar passage, the so-called Great Commission passage. Every time I study the Great Commission passage, I learn things I didn't see there before. That same Jesus who is the author and the finisher of our faith, the one to whom we must look for our example, the one who has shown us how to run the race, has also given us the most important orders of all. In fact, the vital instructions concerning where we are to run the race of life, how to run it, not where to run it. Where are we to run this race through time and into eternity? You remember that very early in his earthly ministry, he said to Simon Peter and Andrew when he was calling them to be his disciple very early, perhaps the first intimate discussion that he had with anyone. Remember what he said to them? What did he say when he, when he came to them and they were fishing? What did he say? Anybody? Um, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, right? What's the last thing he said, if you could paraphrase it, before he went to heaven, whether recorded here by Matthew or recorded by Mark or recorded by Luke or even Acts 1.8. What did he say? Go fishing. Didn't he? Go fishing. Let's look at this together. Verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. I want you to get insight concerning what he means here. All power, totally sovereign, in control of every detail. Not only on earth, but in heaven. All power, all authority, all the attributes of God. He is in control. He decides who's going to sit next to you. He allows a thief to steal your stereo, which happened to me a few weeks ago, for his good purpose. I even have to look into that. In fact, as I stand here and say this, I had the thing repaired finally on Friday, picked it up, and they did such a miserable job. When, when you get in my Jetta now, uh, first the oil light comes on, and it's full of oil. I checked that. And then the oil light makes a noise. 
and you've got to run the radio so high that I'm embarrassed that you'll hear how the radio is. <laughs> Not bad. That, that's when you turn the radio on, when it does that, you know? You've got to have the radio a little above that, but still so I can talk over it. Boy, I don't know. This is serious stuff. You, uh, <laughs> yeah. So they didn't have it right, and I had to go back, and it was 6 o'clock. And, and uh, Santa Clarita Bible study was at my home, and I needed to get home, and you know, I was going to miss dinner already and all that. And, and I wasn't as kind as I should have been to that guy. Now I've got to take the car back tomorrow. And you know what I've got to do? The Lord's given me a second chance if that guy wasn't too kind to, isn't he? In his sovereignty. Every day. Every detail. Be looking. What, what is in it? What is God doing? What is he saying? What, what is he, who is he bringing to you and why? Be always asking that. But there's another dimension. The other dimension is, is one that, that you better never forget. Because all, all power in the hands of the Lord Jesus on heaven and in heaven and in earth also refers to one day when you and I stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And one day you and I are going to stand before him and we're going to tell him how well or how well we did not follow his commands. There's nothing more important to him than our sharing our faith with others. He's not willing that any should perish. You is it. I is it, as E.B. Hill says. And one day we're going to stand before him and I don't want to be standing there and saying, well, yeah, but I was a little shy. You made me shy. I couldn't help it. Or I didn't memorize quite enough scripture, so I, I, I wanted to. Or, well, I was busy. Why was I busy? I had this job at this college. And were we ever busy? That's what he's talking about. One day, you and I will stand before him, King of kings and Lord of lords. He will see through us. And we will give an account for our lives. And that subject is going to be heavily on this subject because that's what's important to him. And then he gives the command. And the command in here, the only verb in here really, is the one that says, make disciples of all nations, teach all nations. As you are going... Seems to be saying, wherever you are, as you are going throughout your life, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, be making disciples of nations. Some of you are going to be in some nations, some in others, according to my plan. But wherever you are, be making disciples. How do you do that? Well, you have to share the message of Christ so the Spirit of God can work and they can be saved. Then you baptize them. Then, verse 20, then you've got to teach them everything. Teach them all things whatsoever I've commanded you. All things, the whole counsel of God, and included in that Matthew 28. The alternating pulse beat of this race that we're in is win them, teach them, win them, teach them, win them, teach them. That's what you're on earth for. That's what I'm on earth for. And when he talks about all nations, do you know what that means? That means some of you in his plan are going to go to the far corners of the earth. Some of you may go as traditional missionaries. Some of you may go as accountants or as chemists or teachers 
into closed countries. Do you know there are 223 nations and territories right now as we stand here? 223. There's 4.7 billion people and less than 1 billion claim to be Christians. By our standards, many of the, most of those would not be Christians even today. The Earth's population is growing at the rate of 121 million people a year. By the year 2000, the Earth's population will be 6 billion. By the year 2020, it will be 8 billion. And Jesus died for every one of them. And it's our job and our privilege to take the message of Christ to all those nations. Do you notice it doesn't say here, disciple all nations except the communist nations, or it doesn't say disciple all nations except the closed countries. It doesn't say that. When we think of missionaries, also, we, we think of rural, don't we? We think of people being in the bush and that kind of thing. Presently, there are 163 cities in the world that have more than 1 million people. By the year 2000, 60% of the world's population will live in urban centers. Our whole missionary strategy has to be totally changed. We have to figure out how to reach people in high-rise buildings. It's, going to be, it's a whole lot harder than reaching people that live in thatched hutches. Isn't it? God will give the wisdom. He's beginning to do that in many areas right now. 32 nations today are totally closed to a traditional missionary effort. By the year 2000, 65%, I think that's today, I think today 65% of the world's population is totally or partially closed to traditional missionary activity. That means that some of you are going to be called by God, maybe many of you, into opportunities of service that are going to involve secular kinds of work that will gain access to closed countries where you'll be able to share your faith. And we have such a vision for that here at the Master's College that one of the things that we're planning for our graduate program is a graduate, a one-year master's in preparation for tent makers. And the man who is the founder of the Association of Church Mission Committees, which is the association of missionary endeavor for, that the churches belong to across our country, the founder of that, just about a 10 or 12 year old organization, two years ago stepped down from that post with such a burden for the tent making need to do research. He's done research on 1.3 million evangelical Christians who are living abroad. He's done surveys with them and he's come up with, he's come up with data, tremendous data from which to divine a training program so that we could begin to equip with precision young men and women or older men and women who have particular skills and trades that are needed in closed countries so they'd be trained as to how they can share their faith, how they can really be effective for Christ when they go behind the iron curtain or behind the bamboo curtain. This fellow called me on the phone about three weeks ago and he said, I hear you guys are interested in trying to figure out how to train tent makers. I'd met him a few years ago. Miss Ishi told me he was calling. I said, you mean the... I mentioned his name. She said, yeah. I said, that's fantastic. God is doing something else. So many things God is doing here. And so I get on the phone with the guy and two, about a week later we're out here for an all-morning meeting and lunch together. He's basically saying, I have the plan. I know how to do it. I have the date and I have the content. I have everything. All I need is a place to do it. Is the master's college the place to do it? So put that on your prayer list, that that would come together. I've got a proposal from him now, and be talking with Dr. MacArthur about it and, and others. And, but God is doing so many exciting things. Look at the rest of this. I, and incidentally, you know, the, the obedience to the command of 
teaching the nations all things whatsoever I have commanded to you is the reason that you're here today. Isn't it? Because others have been faithful down through the centuries. Those who have come to Christ have been faithful to teach and to win others. And those others have been faithful to teach and to win others and to teach them to win. That's the only reason we're here. God's grace has worked through that. And now it's our turn. Now the baton is in your hand and in my hand, isn't it? The hand of the people next door. The hand of the guy you meet on the way going home. And I'm so excited in God's timing. And I don't know. This may spoil some of your parade. I think they call that raining on praise. But as you are all fired up about the great time you're going to have on break, you leave here on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, whenever you're leaving. Some probably figured out a way to get out early. I, I know that. See, <laughs> You think we don't know that stuff. But by Friday, everybody's going to be out of here and headed for a big vacation. But you know what? You're a steward now of all that you have learned since you've been here and all that you have experienced. You're a different person. You now have eyes more like Jesus to see the people and to observe the circumstances. And so you have a break coming up that can be the greatest break that you have ever had in your life. There are going to be opportunities to share Christ and you're going to be ready to do that. You probably ought to have a time, Russ, after the break somehow to be able for, for people to share how God used them on their break. Isn't that wonderful in God's timing? I was kidding about raining on parade because that probably wasn't the first thing in all of your minds. And now it should be. Because you can have fun, but you can't have joy. only way you can have joy is doing what God wants you to do, right? You can have fun for a seat. You can have a temporal week. But if you can have a week next week that's a week that's going to count for eternity, man! Think of coming back here and, and after that break and telling about friends and loved ones who received Christ because you took a step of obedience. Share prayer requests before you go on that break. Share them with your roommates. Hold each other accountable for who you're going to share the Lord Jesus with when you're on that break. And here's the most exciting part. You don't go alone. Look what he says here. Last part of verse 20. And lo, surely, definitely, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. And the sense of this is not just every day, but every part of every day. Okay? He is walking with you every part of every day. Whether it's when you're having the struggle to lay aside a weight, lay aside a sin, or to run harder in the race for His glory, or whether it's getting the boldness to share your faith with someone whom you've just met and you're looking for the right words and praying that He will lead. He is there with you every moment. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. What an adventure. Aren't you excited? Aren't you? you got to be. You're in the greatest race of all of eternity. And you have a baton in your hand. And your job is to give it to another person who needs it, who's never had it. And you know what happens as soon as you give it away, you got another one there. Just the way that the Lord Jesus took the little boy with the loaves and the fishes, and there, there was always another loaf and always another fish. That's how it is. When you give away your faith, it's always there to give away some more. And the race goes on, and it's a great relay race. But when you don't do it, you break the link. 
if everyone hadn't done it in that link from you back to the day the Lord Jesus walked this earth you might not be here today you might be headed for hell think about it our God and Father it's more than we can imagine the gift of life that you've given to each one of us and then on top of that the gift of eternal life not just the distance of that but the quality of it oh God I pray that every one of us in this room and those who weren't able to come today we would look unto you that we would fix our eyes on Jesus that you would give us the power to set aside the weights set aside the weight of lack of confidence set aside the weight of poor self-esteem set aside the weight of wondering if others are judging us and allowing that to encumber and to make us ineffective setting aside the sin of of gossip perhaps setting aside the sin of indifference setting aside the sin of self-indulgence setting aside even as we look forward and in a few days to a break setting aside a sin of planning time just for our own selfish pursuits of pleasure and yet re-examining that and help us to re-examine that and, and see what is in a plan that's already been made for one reason that you want to use for another God I pray that your spirit would go with each one of us on that break and we'd learn things about how you want to use us we'd learn things about your grace we'd learn things about your power our joy would be full and you would be pleased and we'll be sure to give you all the praise in Jesus name Amen